Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 21st of April, year of our Lord, 2020. Had enough information. Going to do a short podcast today and talk about a medical appointment. Very interesting. I was met at a door. I filled out paperwork in my car. Went back to the door. They took the paperwork. Then they called me in. Then I peed. Then they sent me outside and I sat in my car behind the building a guy came to me, took my temperature, blah, 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 and he went in the building. Then my doctor came out and said, everything all right? Yep. All right. Your, medic- your uh, prescriptions have been sent, and that was the appointment. Took all of 20 minutes, and I was only in the building long enough to pee. So definitely a big change. They did talk about Tennessee. Tennessee will be going back to some places, will be allowed other than Chattanooga, Knoxville, Memphis, and Nashville, starting Saturday. Uh, Friday would be the last uh, day, and they're going to start phasing stuff in. So by the 30th, if everything goes well and we don't spike a bunch of cases, we're back to normal economy. Um, except for those cities. Um, there was 700 new cases over the weekend in Nashville alone. So it, they're going to go with the pockets Hotspots, those places will stay in lockdown. The rest of us will move on with our life. Which I really got to say, more and more, as much as I go out like we are in uh, 12 Monkeys, we're like the only people now. Over the last couple days, we've done a couple stops to pick things up, and I got to tell you, nobody's in masks anymore. I don't see anybody in gloves. They're starting to lighten up because it, we're just not getting the cases. We've stayed at 130 cases in our town for a week, and that's that's all we've gotten. Um, two people died here, but they weren't from here. So I think that's a positive, positive step forward. So there's a catch-up on going out to a medical appointment. Um, I want to start the show. You will. You heard all from our last podcast. You heard how Trump and Cuomo got in a Twitter feud. The media went crazy with that. They didn't go crazy with this. Do I have faith in the president? Look, what the federal government did working with states, as I just said, was a phenomenal accomplishment. Uh, we bent the curve. We flattened the curve. Government did it. People did it. But government facilitates people's actions, right? Uh, we had to double the hospital capacity in New York State. Uh, that's what all the experts said. Uh, president brought in the Army Corps of Engineers. They built uh, 2,500 beds at Javits that uh, Michael and Northwell were operating. It was a phenomenal accomplishment. Uh, close to 1,000 people have gone through Javits. Luckily, we didn't need the 2,500 beds, but all the projections said we did need it, and more, by the way. Uh, so it, it, these were just extraordinary efforts and acts of mobilization. And uh, the federal government 
stepped up and was a great partner. And I'm the first one to say it. Uh, we needed help and they were there. State and local governments were fantastic. The hospital system was fantastic. Fantastic. New Yorkers were fantastic. And that is an undeniable fact. Just to look at what they said was going to happen. CDC, Coronavirus Task Force, Cornell, McKinsey, all of them. And they had a line up here. And the actual line is down here. What do you owe the variants to? Heroic efforts on behalf of people as facilitated by government, federal and state. So not surprising that that did not lead on CNN or anywhere. They just didn't cover that soundbite. doesn't fit their agenda. They ran with them feuding. Then more importantly, uh, I do believe I did a dramatic reading of a Brian Seltzer tweet last week. And I think I closed it with the conversation or the premise that he's full of shit. Well, guess what? He was because he took it to the airways. Is a profound loss. We're all grieving. But I have to admit to you, I had tried to bottle it all up. I guess I was trying to be stoic for my wife and kids. It wasn't until um, this Friday night that I hit a wall. I was supposed to be finishing my nightly newsletter that I, that I mentioned earlier. Um, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't get it done. I was so gutted by the death toll. I was so angry about the ignorance in Washington. I was so worried about family members and friends who uh, are at risk of losing their jobs or who have already lost their jobs. It was that mix of emotions um, that many of you also feel. And that's when the tears came. We don't talk about this on TV much. I think we should change that. I think we should talk about this. Almost everybody's experiencing either isolation or stress or anxiety or other emotions as a result of this crisis. Look, let's remember, we've never lived through something quite like this. We have nothing to compare this with. So it can be incredibly alarming. It can be incredibly depressing. Media can help. Making media can help. Even if it's just posting on Instagram or taking pictures or writing, journaling, messaging others, talking with others, FaceTiming. The emotions are real for everybody. They're a big part of the story. Um, for me, a good night's sleep worked wonders. On Saturday morning, I picked up where I left off and sent out the newsletter and wrote about this. And the reactions were extraordinary. The outpouring of reactions was extraordinary. I'm still getting hundreds of emails uh, from readers about this. And that's why I hope you can relate to this as well. I mean, yeah, there were, there were some messages from, uh, from guys trying to do that performative masculinity thing, uh, saying that men shouldn't cry or talk about crying. Yeah. Uh, but most people were so kind and so um, uh, they related to this. Here's what Melissa wrote to me on Twitter. She said, it's okay to not be okay right now. And here's another post. It says, it's It was a fucking stunt. His tweets, many of the most revealing exchanges in recent White House briefing, have been prompted by a new generation of correspondents. They're not taking President Trump's not-my-fault routine for an answer. They're pressuring follow-up and fact-checking in real time. The entire world. Jonathan Carl rightly referred to this as a soapbox approach to journalism. It's reporters trying to make themselves a story by getting into confrontations with Trump and acting like political opponents rather than journalists. They aren't holding Trump accountable. They're simply staging a performance. It's mostly opinion. And by the way, it's 
codependent. Trump loves attacking them out of, and they love being attacked by him. Trump gets to play into his base and they play to theirs. Other people in the media. It's so true. But the ramp up of, we'll have some sound bites from Al Cinder and April Ryan got in it, some Chinese chick that I don't fucking know her name off the top of my head. They're pissed. And Chuck Todd and a couple people gave up the ghost. Uh, welcome. I want to show the president's job approval rating uh, trend in our new NBC Wall Street Journal poll. Here it is from April of 2019. I want to show you these numbers here. 46 approved, 51 uh, disapproved. Now think about what's happened, guys. We had a, uh, an impeachment and a pandemic. So an impeachment and a pandemic has happened in between April of 19 and April of 2020. And the president's job ratings are 46% approved, 51% disapproved. Peter Alexander, obviously the, the durable nature of the president at times is, it knows no bounds. A pandemic, an impeachment, nothing seems to, to break through there. That said, the, the president seems to be, and I'm curious, Peter, he seems to have moved on to a new phase. He seems to have believed... He's got a big part of his job on the pandemic done. Yeah, Chuck, I think you're exactly right. And in my conversations with uh, White House officials and those close to the president, they agree. They say, in the eyes of the president, this is the transition to a new phase. But what's particularly striking here is you sort of have this me president in what is best described as a we crisis. The president, who, as you said earlier in your conversation with the vice president, is trying to sort of claim credit for the guidelines being out. They say they beat the May 1st deadline, saying that he's trying to move the economy on, get things back to normal life, is also now casting the blame for perceived failures on testing and other issues if the economy isn't to come back quick enough on the governors here. And you just compare that, Chuck, to what Americans, a lot of them, millions of Americans, watched last night with leaders and artists together in this concert that was watched mm -hmm. around the globe, right? This was something that focused on the sort of sense of togetherness right now, acting selflessly, working together with other nations, including, frankly, the World Health Organization and the effort to stay inside. Most presidents you would see really raise, their numbers would rise dramatically in moments right. of crisis like this. It hasn't been the case for this. They have pushed so hard to impact his re-election you hear Chuck Todd talking about, oh, oh, this isn't, it's a pandemic in the polls. Trump, head of government, leans into anti-government message. Those are things this week. Natalie Andrews, on the interim coronavirus bill being negotiated now, Pramilia Japal says she has real concerns about giving away leverage now without getting some of the priorities that we need. If it matches up with what we have has what has been reported, I will not support this bill because it's all about politics for them. But yet every soundbite I play on my show repeatedly over and over, he's playing politics. He's playing politics. Who the fuck's playing politics? It's the DNC. DNC War Room uses twenty-three tweets from journalists to rip Trump briefing. And I'm not even gonna listen to list them because you've heard them on the show. Here's just a taste. It was a political ad. 
of the president's uh, briefing because uh, we were told he was going to brief the brief about the current state of the crisis, the coronavirus crisis. But clearly, he is on a political tear, uh, attacking reporters, attacking the New York Times, saying that he inherited garbage when, in fact, uh, he inherited uh, a plan from the Obama administration and an office on pandemics, which he uh, then dis dis disassembled and uh, was unprepared as well as uh, medical health officials who were prepositioned in China who might have spotted the beginning of this pandemic. He also said that, there, that they only had weeks, three weeks, of warnings that this was going to be so serious. It was actually months. And that he, for months, was, in fact, praising China back in February, saying that China was doing a great job. Monica Al The only time the, the fucking MSDNC covers it and so they don't have to talk about fucking Tara Reid. We proved it last podcast. But the low cannot get any low. We've raised the, you know, we've lowered the bar to a level that is criminal across the board. And now we just keep lowering it. New York Times, Jonathan Chait. This is real. A sad, loving Gina New York T portrait of a man killed by Fox News. He watched Fox and believed it was under control, Kirsten told me. Early in March, Sean Hannity went on an air proclaiming that he didn't like the way that American people are getting scared unnecessarily. He saw it all, he said, as like, let's bludgeon Trump with a new hoax. Eventually, Fox changed course, took the virus more seriously. But the choices were long gone by then. On March 14th, they returned to New York for Barcelona. And the next day, before bars and restaurants are forced to close the city, Joe Joyce went to work at J.J. Bubbles for the last time. Megan McCardle, I think this is very sad, but on March 1st, I knew plenty of fox-heading liberals were planning spring holidays and thought it was a little weird to be obsessed about it. Jerry Dunleavy gets to the chase. This is your media. This is what they say is done on Fox. The man left on a cruise March 1st. The handy quote in the article is from March 9th. The man returned March 14th and went to work at his bar March 15th. New York City hadn't closed yet. He was hospitalized on March 27th and died on the 9th. Fox News had nothing to do with it. The literal quotes for March 9th, he was already on a cruise. Molly Hemingway, Democrat media, continued the coordinated disinformation campaign against Fox News with this utterly dangerous piece of propaganda. The type of rhetoric is extremely disconcerting. Get a hold of yourself. Gina Belafonte. I fundamentally don't understand the panic incidence of the disease and declining in China. Virus is not deadly in vast majority of cases. Production and so on will slow down and will obviously rebound. She tweeted that at the same time. Comfortably smug goes even deeper. The New York Times should be ashamed for that article. It should be dragged to hell and back, apologize, and take the article down. And this garbage article, Gina, New York Times, who's the one I just read, and the New York Times are blaming Hannity for man's death because of a quote he made over a week after the man left on a screw cruise to Spain. Aaron Rupar. March 9th, this is scaring the living hell out of people. I see it again. And like it's pledging Trump the new hoax. That was what they were running with. Don't forget, this was New York Times in February before the guy left on his cruise. Who says it's not safe to travel to China? The coronavirus travel ban is unjust and racist. 
Remember that? We, we covered it on the show. The journos are using Fox News and serve as a scapegoat because they don't want to admit that they were telling people before this poor guy left on a cruise that don't worry about the coronavirus, worry about the flu, BuzzFeed, Washington Post. Get a grip, America. The flu is much bigger threat than coronavirus for now. He continues, exploiting a death for political points is so disgusting, and New York Times and Gina New York Times should be ashamed of themselves. And Tucker Carlson says it best. So for the past three or four weeks, the media have been yelling at you, shouting at you sometimes. China had nothing to do with this pandemic. Nothing. And anyone who says otherwise is a bigot. Now they've decided who is responsible for the pandemic. Fox News. It's Fox News's fault. Here are the facts of it, because they're worth knowing. On January 23rd, China, the country, put Wuhan, a city of 11 million people, on lockdown. They shut the city down. They were desperately trying to contain the coronavirus. It didn't work. But watching that, it became very clear to the rest of the world that coronavirus could be a threat to all of us and that we should all pay attention. There was no reason to believe that China was somehow special. It could escape from China. It could happen here. And we said as much on our show on January 28th. All of a sudden, the Chinese coronavirus is looking like a real threat that could be a global epidemic or maybe even pandemic. It's impossible to know, but it's the kind of thing that could be very serious, very serious. Thousands of cases already confirmed. More than 100 are dead. And with the two-week incubation period, more cases are a certainty. So that was late January. That's the tape. What were the other news outlets saying then, the ones who are telling you now that Fox News did this? Well, here's what they were saying. On January 29th, the day after that aired, Vox tweeted this. Is coronavirus going to be a global pandemic? No. Period. The Washington Post launched a barrage of articles explaining how coronavirus fear was totally irrational. On January 31st, they wrote this. How our brains make coronavirus seem scarier than it is. February 1st, get a grip, America. The flu is a much bigger threat than coronavirus for now. February 3rd, why we should be wary of an aggressive government response to coronavirus, end quote, the response they're now demanding. As new cases of this disease popped up around the world, the delusion continued unabated. In fact, it got worse. On February 18th, the New York Times, the paper scolding Fox News, declared that, quote, in Europe, fear spreads faster than the coronavirus itself. Three weeks later, Italy shut itself down and thousands died. On CNN, on February 21st, they told you that the real plague in America was, quote, racist assaults and ignorant attacks against Asians, end quote. That's always the fear, and it's always aimed at you. That's what they really believed. Caring about coronavirus, wanting to protect the public from a pandemic, was racist. That's how deluded they were. Mark Levine chairs the health committee on the New York City Council. On February 9th, he tweeted this, quote, In a powerful show of defiance of coronavirus scare, huge crowds gathering in New York City's Chinatown for ceremony ahead of annual Lunar New Year parade. If you're staying away, you're missing out. Can you imagine? His wokeness took precedence over your life. That same day, New York City Health Commissioner Osiris Barbet tweeted this, quote, Today, our city is celebrating the Lunar New Year parade in Chinatown. I want to remind everyone to enjoy the parade and not change any plans due to misinformation spreading about coronavirus. 
What was that misinformation? That it came from China, that it was dangerous, that you could get hurt by it? Misinformation. Said the health director. None of these people cared about you. They didn't care about protecting public health or sharing accurate information. They cared about feeling virtuous. They put their wokeness above your life, as they always do and always will. And because of that, as they still are, they spread lies and talking points meant to advance a totally unrelated agenda of identity politics. Now they're trying to use coronavirus as an excuse to grab even more power. Today, the Washington Post published an article lamenting, complaining that furloughed Facebook employees weren't around to censor opinions they don't like. Another Washington Post column over the weekend demanded that TV channels stop covering the president's daily coronavirus briefings because he criticizes the media and lies. Uh-huh. Don't listen to these people. They're the liars. I think that's pretty clear at this point. It's, it's fucking just, it, it's just horrible. Miami Herald columnist wishes death on Trump and DeSantis. This is a real tweet. In response to BS article on packed beaches in Jacksonville, Florida, that were not really packed, packed Florida beaches offer a glimpse of what may come when outdoor spaces are reopened. Adrian Brasicelario, Miami Herald columnist Fabiola Santiago. Packed beaches should work nicely to thin the ranks of Trump, DeSantis, Yemenis supporters in Florida who value money over health. Oh, that guy. Every leftist has a Stalin in them. Everyone. H2. Just a journalist wishing for her fellow citizens to die because they vote differently than she does. Comfortably smug. He was busy this week. Nice. Next time some journal tries to say none of them are hoping for people to die, just you show this. Tisha Lewis Fox. Dozens flock to Jacksonville Beach as coronavirus restriction ease. Dozens. Greg Palovich shows the beach. It's empty. Empty. She was happy with this. Until some pushback. And then here comes the non-apology. Thread. I deleted the tweet commenting on people at the beach because it didn't necessarily convey my sentiment. And I want to apologize for the phrase I used that offended many people. Regardless of political differences, I would never wish any harm on anyone. In fact, my intent was to sound an alarm about prematurely opening up the country and the state just trying to open eyes, minds, and save lives, not create a controversy about me instead of the issue, which merits discussion because I'm a Democrat. And if we open, economy might bounce back. That, that's, that's what we're going to do. They're all in the tank to try to stop this. Uh, here's another one. They're pretty lame for long, but white witnesses that are sitting emotionally driven nonsense about has been enlightening. Like CBS's Weijia Zhang during Sunday night's briefing, she'll be played in a second. Then NBC News Kelly O'Donnell complained on Twitter that the head of testing did not speak and was not asked a question. After a lengthy briefing, it's unfortunate the head of testing on the coronavirus task force, Admiral Guerrero, was present but did not speak and was not asked a question. Testing is a huge issue and we didn't hear from him. James Hassan. If only there had been a group of professionals president who could have asked Admiral about the testing instead of asking questions about Paul Manafort. Maybe one day we'll have those kind of professionals in the White House. Another one. You're a White House correspondent. Your one job is to ask questions that provide relevant information to the public, and you complain about it. The rest of them tweeted to this. Maggie Hayden, please someone ask him about Cone and Stone. Roger Stone. 
James B. Perwitz, Admiral Groen brief testing on Friday, yesterday, 4 million tests, week were briefed. Maybe if we didn't have time playing dick dance, would be good. New York Times, far-right conservatives in Michigan protest as blacks suffer virus. There you go. Yeah, I'm not going to read it. Yeah, that's good. Oh, that's fucking fantastic. Poor black people. The media, yeah, Confederate flags, everything just didn't stop. Here they are. And more, there's more protests. I can't even list how many fucking protests. There's no protests in Nashville I didn't even know about. John, there's no question these are not organic protests. Most protests on both sides aren't organic. You know, they start with a group. They start with some, uh, you know, type of uh, essential movement. But in these cases, uh, in the Michigan case, which really got so much attention there in Lansing, Michigan, on Wednesday, as they began to spread across the country, it was organized by the Michigan Conservative Coalition, which was essentially an early. Uh, you know, group that organized the, the Tea Party movement really almost a decade ago. Also, the Michigan Freedom Fund, which is uh, loosely connected with the DeVos family. Of course, the uh, Secretary of Education, uh, a long, you know, she's from Michigan, a longtime Michigan, uh, you know, wealthy conservative donors. So they say that they just uh, promoted this on Facebook. They didn't organize it. But, John, the reality is these are not organic protests. But that doesn't necessarily take away the anger, the real anger. There is real anger out there, no question. Uh, as I was you know, watching these protesters from afar, as far as we could in Michigan on, um, on Wednesday of this week, and as we saw them across the country, uh, yes, many of them came because uh, you know, they just wanted to protest. Uh, you know, they were supporting President Trump. They were supporting a variety of, uh, of issues, uh, you know, pro-militia, anti-vaxxer, uh, pro-life, other things. But there were also some business owners out there who say, look, these stringent uh, restrictions here are hurting our businesses. So, yes, some of them are uh, actual uh, people just coming because they're frustrated. Of course, everyone is frustrated by this. But this systematic organization we're seeing in capitals across the country is no doubt being organized by a loose connection of groups uh, that is very reminiscent of the Tea Party group, like I said, from about a decade or so ago. We saw them in capitals across the country. We'll see them again next week here. So this is not uh, something that's happened organically. These people are being egged on by right-wing media and people like Alex Jones and Rush Limbaugh. And why are you bringing guns to a rally? You want to call yourself protesters, leave your guns home. Those are terrorists who bring guns to things. To rallies. I don't trust that at all. And don't listen to these people. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. That's right. Sonny, what's your opinion about what's going on? Well, you know, what really disturbed me was uh, the president's tweets. You know, you have the president saying things like liberate Virginia uh, and then also in the same sentence bringing up the Second Amendment. And to Joy's point, you know, you saw protesters with guns. And, and I think, you know, he's in a sense implying an incited insurrection. Uh, he's, you know, I think the argument can be made that he is inciting violence by these tweets. He's inciting government insurrection. And, and many people are saying, well, it's his free speech. But the Supreme Court has found many times that, you know, if you're inciting lawlessness that's leading to violence, um, that, that that type of speech isn't protected. And so I'm just shocked that we have the president of the United States, again, inciting this kind of behavior.
Meanwhile, in several other states around the country this weekend, we saw scattered rallies, small but vehement groups of people demanding an end to stay-at-home rules, even though polls show most Americans believe the worst is yet to come and worry governors will lift restrictions too quickly. We have team coverage this morning, and we start with Trevor Alt in Times Square. Good morning to you, Trevor. Eva, good morning. The COVID-19 pandemic really does continue to devastate the country. Even with these sweeping stay-at-home orders, more than a 1,000 Americans have died every day for the past two weeks, and a lot of areas are still seeing their cases climb. But in some cities, a small but an increasingly vocal minority of people say these restrictions and business closures have gone too far. Well, one of the things I, I think in the course of this is, you know, we don't know for sure whether this is real grassroots or astroturfs, whether it's partisan people pushing this in order to try to embarrass the, it seems most of them are Democratic governors, though there's some protests in some Republican states like Ohio and Idaho, uh, Ohio and Idaho. This morning, a battle brewing over reopening the country as demonstrations grew louder from coast to coast. President Trump placing blame for protests on state leaders. There are a lot of protests out there, and uh, I, I just think that some of the governors have gotten carried away. We're not going to have a vaccine for at least 18 months. We cannot shut down our state for 18 months. Hundreds packed the sidewalk in Milwaukee as they protested the stay-at-home order now extended through May 26. In Maryland, a rally of cars clogged streets in Annapolis as they demanded an end to the shutdown. These raw emotions are not reflected in a new Pew Research poll showing two-thirds of Americans are concerned that restrictions will be lifted too quickly. When, when the pandemic, when it became clear, my anxiety was, is our polarization such that this will become a partisan pandemic? That is, are we so dug in into our different camps, and particularly on the right in this case, I'm not making a, a false equivalency here, that these events will be channeled through, interpreted, and acted on, not rationally, but passionately. And that's what the American Revolution was about, however imperfect it was. Mm -hmm. It was about putting reason at the center of the national enterprise so that we would at least give our brains a fighting chance against our guts. And that was, the, that was part of the, the, the central force in this. We are now, when you look at those pictures, when you look at people talking about liberation, the President of the United States talking about liberation and then bringing guns into it, for God's sake, that's passion. That's appetite. That's ideology. That's not reason and consideration and a kind of balance about what do the facts tell us? And this is not, to be clear, a partisan point. I, I'm not reflexively acting because of a pre-existing view of the president. One of the tragedies of the era is that the president manages to fulfill every time one's pre-existing view of him. There's never been a president, no, no, not never, I cannot think of a president off the top of my head who has so self-evidently failed to learn on the job. Right? Abraham Lincoln starts out saying he would protect slavery in the southern states and ends up on January 1st, 1863 with the Emancipation Proclamation. John Kennedy screws up the Bay of Pigs in April of 1961. By October 1962, he manages the Cuban Missile Crisis. 
Ronald Reagan comes in talking about the Soviet Union as an evil empire. By May 1988, he's literally in Red Square playing with babies, right? So you have these moments in our history where presidents have challenged their bases, not simply coddled them, and learned from experience. And in this case, the president continues to simply coddle his base at a dangerous level and almost willfully doesn't want to learn on the job. Yeah. He just wants to be who he is because he sees that as the way that he can be a success on television because apparently that is his priority, to be a success on television, get high ratings. So good for him. It's all about winning, and, and, and nothing will stand yeah. in the way yeah. of them trying to win. And this is where it gets a little bit confusing for me. I'm going to read another little piece from your article. And this is, you're quoting James Hacker and Paul Pearson, who are a couple of political scientists who, are writing, who wrote a book called Let Them Eat Tweets. Quote, in order to win elections, Hacker and Pearson explained the Republican Party has had to form a coalition between corporatists and white cultural conservatives who are galvanized by Trump's anti-elitist and racist rhetoric. The authors call this hybrid strategy plutocratic populism. Hacker told me the relationship between McConnell and Trump offers a clear illustration of how the party has evolved adding they may detest each other, but they need each other. The thing that's ironic about that is that on the populist side, they don't actually get anything economically out of this plutocracy. They are actually being pushed to maybe infect themselves with coronavirus. They are on the losing end economically, but somehow they're still allied with the plutocrats. Is there an explanation that you got in talking to these political scientists about that? Well, I mean, the, Trump's rhetoric, which is often racist and, and anger-laced and um, anti-elitist, is the language that excites the sort of the, the lower educated part of his base, those sort of the white male base particularly. Um, and so he's saying things that make his, his supporters feel good. Facebook also holds its users accountable by continuing to monitor and flag posts for harmful misinformation about the disease. So how do you deal with the fact that Facebook is now being used to organize a lot of these protests to defy social distancing, defy the social distancing guidelines in states? Is somebody trying to organize something like that, does that qualify as harmful information? We do classify that as harmful misinformation, and we take that down. Um, at the same time, you know, it's important that people can debate policies, so there's a line on this. But, you know, more than normal political discourse, I think a lot of the uh, stuff that people are saying that is false around a health emergency like this can be classified as, um, as, as, as harmful misinformation. I just want you to remember that every time you hear the word AstroTurf, that came out of a Democrat's mouth. That was Nancy Pelosi with the Tea Party. But you heard Tea Party, you heard fuck it, Tea Party, or Tea Party, you heard AstroTurf, you heard racist, and when they weren't talking about it, eh, they were on Twitter. George Tataki, any parent who brings their kid to lift the shutdown rally without proper social distancing, where participants are not wearing masks or face coverings, should be charged with child endangerment, put yourself at risk, you're an idiot, put your kid at risk, you're a criminal. Wow! How many women's marks did we see little kids? BLM, little kids, where there was violence. If you would have said that, you would have been crushing Americans' right to freedom to assemble. 
Oliver Dorsey. Anti-quarantine protests being organized through Facebook in California, New Jersey, Nebraska. Not all those people could be fucking conservatives, dingbats, are being removed from the platform on the destruction of governments in those three states because it violates stay-at-home orders. So Facebook got involved. Then April Ryan stirred up the fucking love that comes from the left. I used to have a hate tweet section. This was so fucking good. It's everything I say on my show about what the left does when people do things they don't agree with. When they protest everything, when they protest inaugurations, you shut your dirty, dirty fucking mouth. This is America. We have the right to protest. And it's grassroots, not astroturf. This was last night. April Ryan should stay at home protesters who endanger other Americans by not following CDC gov guidelines about physical distancing be required to sign a waiver refusing medical attention at a hospital and not take up a ventilator if they contract coronavirus. Does that sound like she wants conservatives to die? Because that's what I'm hearing. Heidi Finnan. And then I just lump all these people in here. This is all the top ten of replies to April Ryan. I want you to think about it for a second. We criticize Fox News personalities all the time because when you go to their Twitter feeds, it's just a bunch of goddamn rabid conservatives. I can't find anything but conservatives dogging or more likely than not when you go to Jake Tapper, Acosta, Seltzer, Chuck Todd, an echo chamber of progressive intolerance. And it all mirrors these replies. They should also be visibly identified so those sheltering in place can avoid them in grocery stores. That's a scarlet letter. You need to have Jew markings. Because that's how fascist they are. Now, I'm not trying to relate it to the Holocaust. What I'm trying to relate it to, that's what the fascists did to Jews, gays, blacks. Remember that? They marked them. That's what that lady, Heidi Finnan, H-K-F-I-N-A-N, said. Other ones, they're not protesters, they're terrorists. Yeah, when you don't agree with us, don't vote like us, you're terrorists. The white nationalists anti-lockdown should be denied hospital admission for treatment of coronavirus 19. I saw Nashville's, there were black people, Latino, women, but they're all white nationalists. They endanger healthcare workers and professionals, yes, and be held legally responsible for anyone's cost for care from a large outbreak in their city and ties back to their protest. And I don't care if they are broke. They can maybe sell their swastikas and Confederate flags on eBay to help pay for the bills and funerals. It's because they are white that get away with it. Heck, I would use facial recognition software on those brave or stupid enough to show their faces. No quarter to Nazis. Her name is In Minivan Hell. At In Minivan Hell. Common spelling. My replies. I concur, especially the NYC people who fled and spread the virus. 
They should be held accountable for all these comments. Be called terrorists, pay reparations, be denied medical service. The list goes on. Damn those Americans who don't agree with you. Oops, forgot the first one. And one used by all liberals, regardless of a person's race, gender, orientation, religion. Well, except Christians. Fuck those people. They're responsible for this virus. But other religions, New York City people who fled should be all called racist Nazis. You go get them. These people are fucking unbelievable. This unbelievable. And I'll send her. I interviewed someone who said their family got sick. They went to a funeral in March. And they said mainly because the president was taking it seriously. That if the president had a mask on. If he was saying that we should stay home. We would have stayed home. Somebody jokingly said. She forgot to say they downed a whole thing of fucking um, fish cleaner. Then there's this article. The ventilator shortage that wasn't. These articles are everywhere. They even on CNN. There was no, none. They just won't broadcast it. They just won't. Here's a media mash and some fucking briefing bullshit. Nadia, let me begin with you and ask you, um, lay out what you mean when you say that Trump is right about China. Uh, sure, Fareed. Hi, Kishore. Uh, Trump is absolutely right about China. Um, when he took office, he essentially uh, looked at what China had been doing over the past 15 years uh, that had been noticed, by the way, by bipartisan uh, experts, you know, both sides of the aisle in terms of its unfair trade practices its uh, theft of intellectual property, its forced tech transfers, its complete lack of reciprocity vis-a-vis the United States. All of these activities had been noticed, as I said, by previous administrations. But President Trump decided to approach the problem in a different way. He basically said constant engagement and constant cooperation without reciprocity wasn't working. So he changed his tactics. What he talked about vis-a-vis China and what he has explained vis-a-vis China is actually not really in dispute across, as I said, a wide range of bipartisan experts. What's in dispute is his new tactics. In this, in this particular COVID situation, we have seen exactly what he has said. China's cover-up is costing us millions of lives, thousands of deaths. They have silenced and disappeared people in early December who were the first to call out the problem. They removed and destroyed evidence of the virus, bleaching wet stall markets, closing and shuttering labs, preventing people still, experts, from going to better understand the sources of the virus, the genomes of the virus. They denied human-to-human transmission for up to seven weeks from early December until January 20th. That's a long time, a long time when people are traveling. And speaking of traveling, they stopped internal internal travel in China, but did not stop external travel, which tells you a little bit about how they were thinking about the rest of the world and a little bit about how they were thinking about not caring. You have called on me. Yes, Thank I you. did. I appreciate it. Um, 
since you shared with us something else that you saw on TV today, I have a question about something you said on Thursday, which is that you were angry because information about the virus should have been told to us earlier and a lot sooner. People knew it was happening, and people did not want to talk about it. Many Americans are saying the exact same thing about you, that you should have warned them the virus was spreading like wildfire through the month of February instead of holding rallies with thousands of people. Why did you wait so long who you to with? warn them? Who you with? And why did you yeah. uh, not have social distancing until March 16th? Who are you with? I'm Weecha Jang with CBS News. So, if you look at what I did in terms of cutting off or banning China from coming in. Chinese nationals. But by the way, not Americans who are also... Nice and easy. Nice and easy. Just relax. We cut it off. People were amazed. These gentlemen, everybody was amazed that I did it. We had 21 people in a room. Everybody was against it but me. Dr. Fauci said, had I not done that, perhaps tens of thousands and maybe much more than that, people would have died. I was very early, very, very early. And we just saw, you saw Brett Baer making a statement. They had a debate well into February. And not even mentioned, it wasn't even mentioned, the Democrats. The we were very early. Oh, I'm, I'm the president. And you know what I just did? So and you know what I just... And by the way, when you issued the ban, the virus was already here. Okay, and you know how many people, when I issued the ban, how many cases of virus were in the United States when I issued the ban? Do you know the number? There was, there no, no. How many cases? Remember, I said one person. How many cases were here when I issued the ban? But Tell did me. you know? No, no, no. Do you have to do your research? How many? I did my research on the 23rd of March. You said you knew this was going to be a pandemic. Can I tell you what? Well, I did know it. I did know it. All I have to do is look. So you knew all, it was anybody knew it. Just are you ready? How many cases were in the United States when I did my ban? How many people had died in the United States? So do you acknowledge that you didn't think Keep your voice down, please. Spread? Keep your voice down. Did you not how many, how many, how many cases were in the United States? I did a ban where I'm closing up the entire country. How many people died? And that's a fair point. How many people died in the United States? And yet I closed up the country and... I believe there were no deaths, zero deaths at the time I closed up the country. Nobody was there. And you should say thank you very much for good judgment. Go ahead, please. And responsible and thoughtful dialogue from their elected leaders and from the media. Uh, the media has been some very honest, but some very dishonest. You know that. You know that. I mean, I even read a story where Mark Meadows is a tough guy. He was crying. He was crazy. This is a Maggie Haberman. You know, she won a Pulitzer Prize for her coverage of Russia, but she was wrong in Russia. So was everyone else. They should all give back their Pulitzer Prizes. In fact, it turned out that the crime was committed by the other side. The crime was not committed by this side. It was committed by the other side, a bunch of bad people. You saw the reports coming out over the last two weeks. They got caught. So Maggie Haberman gets a Pulitzer Prize. She's a third-rate reporter. New York Times. And we put her name up here last week. You saw that. People thought it was a commercial. It wasn't a commercial. It's like a commercial, but it wasn't a commercial. It was just clips. And because we exposed her as being a bad reporter, what happened is she came out and said, Mark Meadows was crying. And they made it sound. I said, Mark, and it's okay if he did. I wouldn't, you know, look. But I think he was crying probably... Uh, 
really for the wrong reason they had it down. But he's not a crier. And if he was, I've no cries. I could tell you people that you know that are very famous, they cry. And that's okay, too. But it was a nasty story in so many ways. It was fake news. And she only did it because we exposed her for being a terrible, dishonest reporter. She is. I've known her for a long while. I haven't spoken to her a long time. I made the mistake. I take a picture with her at the desk a long time ago. Every time she does the story, if I say, I haven't spoken to her in long, many, many, many months, maybe years. I don't speak to her. She's fake. A lot of people are fake. A lot of people. We get a lot of fake people. But what happens is she writes this story as retribution, puts it in the New York Times. And the New York Times is a very dishonest newspaper. It's my opinion. It's not an opinion. It's actually from my standpoint. You know, the, the very hard thing to figure, though, most people wouldn't know that. But I know because I know the facts. And they make up, I, I said it today, they make up words. Uh, sources say most often. Uh, 22, more than 22 million Americans are currently unemployed yeah. as a result of this. Uh, today we hit the grim milestone of more than 40,000 Americans uh, now having died from the coronavirus. Um, can you explain then why you come out here and you are reading clips and, and, uh, and showing clips of praise for you and for your administration? Is this really the time for self-congratulations? Uh, those people have been just absolutely excoriated by some of the fake news, like you, your CNN, your fake news. And let me just tell you, they were excoriated by people like you that don't know any better because you don't have the brains you were born with. You should be praising the people that have done a good job, not doing what you do. Even that question, look, look, you're never going to treat me fairly, many of you. And I understand that. I, I don't even know. I got here with the worst, most unfair press treatment, they say, in the history of the United States for a president. We made a great deal. Now I find out after the deal, after the deal, not through, after the deal, I find out that I'm not happy. You, you people are so pathetic at CNN. Let me just tell you. Sure. I was very happy with the deal, very happy with everything. Then we find out about the plague, right? The plague. And since we found out about that, I'm not happy. But I closed it up long before Pelosi. Listen, long before Pelosi, you know, she was having parties in San Francisco. Let's all go to Chinatown. And that was a long time after I closed up the country. Go ahead, please. The first of the month is next week. That's why your ratings are so bad, because you're pathetic. Go ahead, let's go. Your ratings are terrible. you got to get back to real news. What I'm scared to death of is that we wind up doing, or maybe have already done, what we did after 9-11. We are overly influenced by dramatic death, when something is a dramatic event like this, as opposed to everyday death. You know, the 40,000 people a month who die from obesity, that just goes by. Opioids, lots of pollution. Um, after 9-11, we overreacted and wounded ourselves much more than the enemy ever could have. Do you, do you worry that that's what's happening now? Absolutely. And I worry that we have the wrong reactions and we try to compensate for the things that we, that we got wrong. Maybe, you know, you start fighting the, the last war. You're absolutely right. The, the 9-11 happens and basically it's a bunch of guys with box cutters who get onto planes um, and then use the planes as bombs. Uh, locking the cockpit door essentially took care of that problem. Instead, we spent something like 50 or $60 billion in the next three months 
ramping up our defense department, uh, you know, which had almost nothing to do with, with protecting us from that kind of threat. Then we built this enormous homeland security apparatus. Then we went out and invaded Iraq. I mean, none of it really related to our problem. And so in crises, in fear and panic, we do these things. I, I will point out, you know, there are sort of three crises of the post-Cold War world. 9-11, the 2008-2009 financial crisis, and this one. And the distinctive feature of the 08-09-1 is we really didn't overreact. And I do think mm -hmm. that having a president who is Dr. Spock helped in that regard. You know, right. Obama <laughs> is very calm, very cool, very rational, and that some people you know, saw it as a kind of lack of emotion, Dr. Dr. Spock. But when you think about it in these terms, it was really helpful to have somebody who doesn't just go with the herd and who sits back and asks himself, what is the right rational answer to this problem? Well, I think you mean Mr. Spock. Dr. Spock was a pediatrician and, and, and a pediatrician. <laughs> You're exactly is, right. You're exactly right. A Sorry, pediatrician is definitely what this president needs. But here's one crazy idea that may be worth attempting now. Universal basic income. UBI is a big deal. It's a big idea. There are lots of versions of it, but it goes something like this. Every citizen, regardless of their employment status, gets a modest income from the state, no strings attached, which allows them to live above the poverty line. Taxpayer dollars that cut through the bureaucracy of means testing and proof that what you're doing is of value to society. It not only serves those who fall through the cracks in society, but... Think of increasing numbers of caregivers, gig workers, contract workers, part-time workers, freelancers, home workers, people who care for their children, most of whom receive no health care or child care benefits through their employers, benefits that most of the developed world consider to be basic rights. In an increasing number of physical stores, you don't need to interact with a human to do your business. More people enter the workforce every year, but more jobs ultimately will not. Universal basic income has its critics and its detractors, mostly those who say it'll cost too much, promote unemployment, or worse, laziness, and that it's unsustainable. But let me put it to you this way. If UBI could happen at no additional cost to you, would you support the idea? Just last week, the Pope wrote, this may be the time to consider a universal basic wage which would acknowledge and dignify the noble, noble essential tasks you carry out. While America is on pause, we've got a moment to think about rebuilding our damaged house. Let's make it a home for those for whom the American dream is unattainable. Two other things I want to ask you about. We have been looking ahead, but I also would say it's important to look for a moment at how we got here. The United States today has more coronavirus cases than the major countries in Europe combined, more deaths than anywhere. In January, as you know, Mr. Vice President, there were pervasive warnings from the intelligence community here, from top administration officials. There were mistakes made, no question about it, in China. There were delays at the World Health Organization. But the president did stop travel to the U.S. on January 30th. But for days and even weeks after that, he said the U.S. is in a good place. He said he assured Americans everything is okay. How many lives do you believe were lost as a result of the delay by this administration? And while they're not playing this dick dance, they're letting Nancy Pelosi get away with everything. The president has announced plans to reopen the country. Speaker Pelosi says there hasn't been enough testing. We're way late on it, and that is a failure. president gets an F, a failure on testing. 
We've tested more than any other country. Nancy Pelosi doesn't give a damn about Americans, its people, or its businesses. Her words and action have proven that time and time again. Pelosi insisted that this was not an example of her taking the outer break, the break lightly and claimed it was only meant to end the discrimination stigma because Chris Wallace is the only person that said, well, what about this? And he showed the, the thing I play every time for January 24th. Another person, I'm sorry, but Nancy Pelosi doesn't get to play the hero after wait, waiting a week to fund the PPP because they still won't finance it. It's not being financed. Nancy Pelosi lied straight-faced on Fox News Sunday about her tour on the 24th. Don Barrows, lying Nancy Pelosi, showed she had no empathy for Americans suffering from the economic crisis. She even attacked Fauci because he supported Trump's plan to reopen. She lied about being in Chinatown and saying it was safe. She's a disgrace. Nancy Pelosi wants you to send her $10. She can afford another half pint of ice cream. I haven't played that. Nancy Pelosi has just called Trump a weak leader on Fox News Sunday. She has some nerve. Last time I checked, she was the one stuffing her face with ice cream while hunkered down in a million-dollar California home. She has demonstrated no leadership whatsoever. Here's the Fox and ABC soundbite and Pelosi running her fucking cock trap trying to politic once again off people's deaths. Nobody on CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, they, they never say, hey, you're politicking. In, in a conference call with your caucus earlier this week, you reportedly said, I'm afraid what the president might do during this period. What is it you're afraid of? I'm afraid that he's going to act on the set basis of what he's acted before. It's a hoax. It's magically going to disappear. And that's why I sent out the letter that I did after Easter, because Easter gave me time for reflection and prayerfulness about, okay, we don't want to keep harping on what he did wrong, because he failed. And he's failed in the testing and the rest, and it's a hoax, and, and uh, uh, it's going to magically disappear. That's not based on science. This isn't magical. This is scientific. And so I said, if he, if he continues to predicate the action uh, that we take on a false premise, uh, then we're in further danger. And his earlier delay and denial caused deaths. You, as you are right now, have been very critical of President Trump, especially for what you say is the time that he lost initially in January and February in responding to the virus. But I want to point out that on February 24th, you went on a walking tour of Chinatown to try to promote tourism there. And here's some of what you had to say. That's what we're trying to do today is to say everything is fine here. Come because precautions have been taken. We think it's very safe to be in Chinatown and hope that others will come. If the president underplayed the threat in the early days, Speaker Pelosi, didn't you as well? The president announced a plan this week to reopen the country, and you immediately criticized it. I want to put up what you said. The White House's vague and inconsistent document does nothing to make up for the president's failure to listen to the scientists and produce and distribute distribute national rapid testing. But Dr. Anthony Fauci endorsed the plan. Take a look. If these things are done correctly, what I believe they can we will have and there will be enough tests to allow us to take this country safely through phase one. Don't you believe, Dr. Fauci? 
Yeah, well, he said if this were to done properly, well, it hasn't been done. Uh, on March 4th, we passed our first bill, bipartisan, testing, testing, testing. It's over uh, six weeks since then, and it hasn't been done. So he's saying if it is done properly, we're already very late on that. But he's right. It has to be testing. It has to be tracing, contact tracing. It has to be treatment, and it has to be quarantine. It's part of something bigger as well to be done properly. But we're way late on it, and that is the failure. The president gets an F, a failure, uh, on the testing. Republicans are making it absolutely clear they want to unseat me. I refuse to let them attack our values. Can I count on you to rush in $10 before midnight to help me fight back? Thank you. Girl, bah. I know you did not say. I know you did not say you had values. <laughs> Nancy, when did you become a comedian? Girl, when the last time you had a value? You ain't never had no values. You don't got values, Nancy. Name one. Name one. I bet you can't name one. I bet you can't name one. Now, Nancy, I know we, Nancy, I know we all been stuck in the house and we haven't had much to do, but what you been doing on your free time? Because you clearly tripping. Something going on with you. Talking about you got values. Nancy, what you been sipping on? What you been sipping on, Nancy? I know you had a little sippy sip. What you been sipping on? <laughs> I know you been sipping on something. You got to be sipping on something. But anyways, Nancy, check this out. I want to thank you, Nancy, for reminding me to donate $100 to President Trump. Thank you for bringing up. Thank you for begging for $10 because you reminded me I needed to give my boy, the boss man, 100 bucks so he can win again. You know what I'm saying? So thank you, Nancy. Thank you for reminding the people that, you know, President Trump needs our help. So thank you very much, Nancy. And um, I'm hoping I don't see you in office again at all. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. The initial $349 billion pool for emergency loans for small businesses derailed by the coronavirus pandemic has run dry. The American dream turned into the American nightmare. Chocolate is good for your teeth. It's my cup of coffee. I don't have more than a month of funds for my bills. Oh, my. And then we have some other chocolate here. <laughs> The American dream turned into the American nightmare. It's embarrassing. I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels like a failure. How much uh, of your of your regular diet do you think is ice cream and candy? Well, uh, um, as much as possible. I don't have savings. I don't have a support system around me. Chocolate. The SBA is currently unable to accept new applications for the Paycheck Protection Program based on available appropriations funding. How long do we... They I just have to bank on me, and uh, I don't want to lose my house. I don't want to lose uh, my business. <laughs> I don't know what I would have done if ice cream were not invented. It, 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 I enjoy it. Pelosi's favorite turned out to be Jenny's. That's good. The tweet from that lady just shows what the politicians are doing. San Diego deputies issue 22 citations to people watching the sunset, enjoying picnics inside their car. They weren't near anybody. They weren't. 
Alyssa Milano, hello, we are living through a pandemic and Donald Trump's our president. What in the actual fuck? It's like, did you just remember this? And then you have this soundbite from Michael Moore, November 3rd, right around 8 p.m., party at my place. All are welcome. And he shared a picture of people punching a Trump dummy. Some good sound bites I can play. Here's Margin eating the fuck up by Dan Crenshaw. I hope this guy runs for president. That's all I got to say. Let's just go through the timeline, okay? Because he was warned. This did not have to happen. Uh, Alex Azar, his his health and human services guy, January 18th, he warned him about this. And again on January 30th, Trump said he was being an alarmist. Peter Navarro. Somebody else who talks to Trump a lot told him directly January 29th, you got to get ahead of this. February two 10th. Days later, he, two days later, he implemented a restrictive tra- tra- travel ban from China, which he was widely criticized no, for. You I, know, that same well, day on January 31st, Nancy Pelosi proposed the No Ban Act, which would be congressional limitation on what President Trump's actually able to do with that, with that travel restriction okay but that's right i mean he lies about that he first of all he well, didn't how does he lie about it what do, he, what do you mean he said he stopped people coming in from china he did not he said he what? was ahead of it 43 countries did it before we did there are still people coming in from china he only stopped yeah. foreign nationals yeah, okay let, let, let me address that because I, I know that's that's what people are saying right now but the reality is that yeah, was about forty thousand people came in after that these were u.s citizens and green card holders and passport holders being repatriated u.s citizens so you have to make the argument yeah. then that that we shouldn't allow them in. And I mean, it, it sounds to me like you're fully agreeing with President Trump on this when everybody else disagreed with him. And, no, and if I, you're saying that you wish that, that that travel restriction had been more extreme, okay, fine. I well, mean, I, I, you apparently had the foresight back then, but when nobody else did. But the fact yeah. is, you okay. know, we, if Joe Biden was in charge at that moment, he's already said he wouldn't have done it. He criticized it as, at the time. Nancy yeah. Pelosi actually proposed legislation to to stop it. Okay, so, but people you know, are but, 
people are still coming in from, from China. It wasn't just foreign nationals. But then there's this stupid dance. This is like all over the place. Liberate America for Trump. All you're going to hear is some music. But this girl's dancing. I mean, I could dance better. Then there is uh, Katie Kirk getting caught, and I love this, stop airing the briefing. But then she went back and rewrote it and deleted it, but people captured it. Under no circumstances should these briefings be carried live. A quote from an article. Because she was trying to play like she's a real journalist. Physics geek. I love this. This is a great screed. Remember how the social distancing and shutdowns were designed to flatten the curve? And do you remember the purpose of the flattening? That's right. It was to prevent the number of cases from exceeding our medical services capacity to handle the number of cases. Yet now three, there appears to be a growing trend to require everyone in the country to be tested before we start to open things up again. Or they're the fringe group who think we sh- must wait until a vaccine gets developed. I saw one idiot bleat, I deserve a free virus for life. The stupidity and ignorance, while stunning, is unsurprising. Unsurprising. Anyway, getting back to the first tweet on this thread. All the actions we've taken were designed to eradicate the disease. They were designed to slow the infection to a manageable level. However, you slow the number of infections instead of eliminating them, you still get the same number of infections or close to the, especially with the high R-value virus. So we tried to keep COVID-19 from rolling across the country unimpeded. We did so for a little while, but we cannot do it forever. And then the people in charge decided to overreach, which is what people in charge always do. Sorry, you can't buy seeds to grow your own food because that's considered non-essential. Sorry, you can't go for a run on the beach or go kayaking because that's unessential. Sorry, we're letting people out of jail, but we'll arrest you for disobeying our edicts. And then what a surprise, a country founded on rebellion to tyrannical rule gets a little pissy at the let-them-eat-cake crowd and decide to hold some protest about the extended lockdowns. I enjoy studying history, but I have no interest in seeing the French Revolution part due in this country. And y'all who think you can condescendingly lecture people who are generally worried about keeping their homes and feeding their families or trying to light that match. Things are quite possibly going to get very ugly soon unless someone pulls their head out of their collective asses. Here's hoping the head pulling happens instead of the other thing. Media? Jake Tapper, practically every day I see a tweet or blog post about someone who wrongly thought COVID-19 was a hoax, dying of COVID-19, and all I can think about are these measures of media and politicians who misinform that person and who surely feel zero responsibility. His network isn't responsible because he'll never go back to his own stuff. The Washington Post, same thing. Dangerous. It's all dangerous. And then you get to have Whitmer get carted out and say shit like this about World War II. President Trump called this a war, and it is exactly that. So let's act like it. In World War II... There weren't people lining up at the Capitol to protest the fact that they had to drop everything they were doing and build planes or tanks or to ration food. They rolled up their sleeves and they got to work. We were all in this together, and it wasn't indefinite. 
it was until we'd beaten the enemy. No state shined more in those days than the state of Michigan. We are called to act again. It is our time to shine, to put aside our political differences, to come together and defeat our common enemy. Jesus fucking Christ. I got a review of a documentary. Liberals always like to talk about war, but they never support war, so shut the fuck up. Ellen Show crew distressed and outraged at treatment by Star, her producers. An example of liberals following the unspoken motto of do as I say, not as I do. Members of the crew for the Ellen DeGeneres Show are distressed and enraged over poor treatment from the weekday talk show host. The long-running show crew of more than 30, employee, 30 employees, and they had not received any written communication about the status of their working hours, pay, or inquiries regarding the mental and physical health from producers, oh her, or her, for over a month. When production executives finally did weigh in, nearly all the crew members were told last week to brace for a 60% reduction in pay, even as the show continues to air according to sources close to the matter. But she's on there. Yeah. Yeah. NFL Bob Blogger for NBC tweeted, NFL star who tweeted Trump risks very real backlash. He faces very real backlash. Who is that star? Lamar Jackson. Yeah. And then they overreach again. We had the Washington Post. Going to set back a generation. This is Harvard. A piece published Friday in the Harvard Magazine, though, makes no mention at all of COVID-19 when it talks about the risk of homeschooling. And Professor Elizabeth Bartholet argues for a presumptive ban on homeschooling. Here's the reason Foundation Corey A. DeGeneres, our magazine. The risk of homeschooling, the elites are terrified that families are figuring out they can educate their own children at home. Elizabeth Bartholet recommends a presumptive ban on homeschooling. They are coming after your right to educate your own child at home. Yet Elizabeth Bartholet, Wasserson Public Interest Professor of Law and Faculty Director at the Law School's Child Advocacy Program, seeks risk for children and society in homeschooling and recommends a presumptive ban on the practice. Homeschooling, she says, not only violates children's right to a meaningful education and their right to be protected from potential child abuse, but may keep them from contributing positively to a democratic society. Oh, you know what we're about to talk about. We have an essentially unregulated regime in the area of homeschooling. All 50 states have laws that make education compulsory, and state constitutions ensure a right to education. But if you look at the legal regime governing homeschooling, there are very few requirements that the parents do anything. Even apparently requirements such as submitting curricula or providing evidence of teaching and learning are taking place. Only about a dozen states have rules about the level of education needed by parents who homeschool, she said. That means effectively the people can homeschool who've never gone to school themselves, who don't read or write themselves. This is such bullshit. They have to pass a GED to get a diploma. Surveys of homeschoolers show that a majority of such families, by some estimates, 90%, are driven by conservative Christian beliefs and seek to remove their children from mainstream culture. Bartholet notes that some of these parents are extreme religious ideologues who question science and promote female subservience and white supremacy. 
and public schools, Karens, like Bartholet, can better ensure children grow up exposed to community values, social values, democratic values, ideas about non-discrimination and tolerance of other people's viewpoint, as she applies intolerance of Christian viewpoint. The Harvard professor says homeschooling violates children's right to meaningful education, blah, 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 blah. In there, she talks about the Christian beliefs. The burden of proof should be on parents to get permission to homeschool from the government. <clears throat> Replies. Jesus, the only way to get the kind of conclusion is if you believe that children actually belong to the state. She can kiss, go ahead and kiss my whole ass, it says. Another one. I would rather be governed by the first 2,000 people in the telephone directory than by a Harvard University faculty. They're all in. Another reply. Harvard needs kids to be indoctrinated early because they will never be receptive to the crap that Harvard robots put forth in those kids actually practicing free thought. They're also hosting an anti-homeschooling conference in June. The conference is invite only. The focus will be on the problem of educational deprivation and child maltreatment that too often occur under the guise of homeschooling. That's Harvard. Professor James DeWire organized the conference. He claims the reason parent-child relationship exists is because the state confers legal parenthood. It's the state that is empowering parents to do anything with children. This is a professor. The state needs to be the ultimate guarantor of a child's well-being. There's just no alternative to that. The reason parent-child relationships exist is because the state confers legal parenthood on people. That's the state that is empowering parents to do anything with children, to take them home, to have... That fucking scares me. Because that's what will happen with a Democrat-run government in our country. That's how they'll do it. Then we got this one, Emily Savan. Yes, the K-word is stronger than the N-word, at least currently. Misogyny and patriarchy has been around longer than slavery. Just don't use either, okay? And the K-word is Karen again. They're still on the Karen. Jesus fucking morons. And Sunrise Movement, what if we took public ownership of oil and gas companies? They've been jerking off because oil prices have been tumbling because the Mideast has flooded the market and people aren't using it. And our media... Well, they've been just going crazy about the climate. Now they're scared that if we let people go back to work, it'll affect the climate. Also this morning, a look at an unexpected impact to this coronavirus crisis. With billions of people across the globe staying put, the environment is now thriving with cleaner air and wild animals reclaiming parts of their natural habitat. From the great outdoors to the world's great cities, the virus shut down dramatically illustrating our impact on the planet. When we run our economies less, we pollute the environment less. And now we have seen pretty dramatic improvements in things like air quality uh, around the world. Is this a real-time experiment on our impact on the environment? It is a real-time experiment. I, I don't think it's an experiment we wanted to run. With fewer cars, planes, and factories, the change is stunning. The murky waters of Venice's famous canals now clear. 
In Wuhan, China, according to NASA, air quality improved 30 percent, almost 50 percent in Milan, Italy. Skies clearer in L.A., the Himalayas finally visible. Improvements coming at a horrific economic cost. Climate scientist Radley Horton warns the environmental benefits may not last if we return to business as usual, especially now with the Trump administration's rollback of pollution controls. They will hang on to anything to try to keep this to November, folks. They just will. Okay, I was supposed to do a plot against America I'll just read one article. The plot against America is not about Trump, even if comparisons are inevitable. I couldn't even get past the first episode, so I'm not going to do a review on it. It was horrible. It was just fucking horrible. It was the worst ever. Just the worst, man. It's not even worth paying attention to. It's so fucking boring. I couldn't fucking do it. So, that will take us to This is America. I'm going to play a soundbite. The first is a hot mic. And the hot mic is of the media talking in the briefing room. And they sound a lot like us. Then you're going to hear a room and people talking. I'll explain on the other side. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. by 20, 20 by 20 rollers of six mil poly. Uh, we embraced the ceiling so it wouldn't come down with two by fours all the way across. Um, it probably took us maybe three days to complete everything as you see from start to how many, uh, how many men and, uh, there was probably about five of us that came in and did this. This is probably one of the cleanest places <laughs> that you can find right now. I noticed in the doorway over there, there were three levels of plastic they had to walk through. Okay, so that keeps everything in on this side, and it keeps everything on the other side. So the pull of the negative airs, it's always pulling in, mm-hmm. so you'll always see the flaps. That's what we call flaps. You'll always see the flaps 
kind of raised off of the ground a little bit, and that's showing you that you have a negative air pressure in here. Fucking hypocrites. And the death rate's really low. The death rate's really low. Really? But you're acting like we can't go back to work. More on that in a second. But the second soundbite is what you probably thought it was. New York Mosque still open for daily prayer while churches across the country face mandatory shutdowns. It is an actual hit on it by the blaze. And they walked in and there was a service going on. Daily prayers are good to go. No problems whatsoever. And I said that on the show. He directly said synagogues and church. He didn't touch Islam, their preferred religion. Well, the preferred religion is atheism, but Islam is okay. So there you go. That's liberal tolerance. All religions have freedom except for Christian and you dirty fucking Jews. Then this article breaks and it's pretty fucking damning. And it makes me think why maybe the media is acting the way the media is acting. Slowly we're seeing more stories emerging that cast suspicion on the Wuhan Institute of Virology as a possible source of the COVID-19 viral outbreak. The initial theories of the consumption of the bats being possible cause of transmission were falling apart as the species in question is not indigenous to the Wuhan region. However, the institute is known as having studied the very bat in question. Speculation is only expanded with the recent details showing photographs from inside the institute, which you covered last podcast. The pictures from 2018 have since been removed from the web, but showed refrigerators and cracked doors, blah, 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 blah. Last week, this newspaper also disclosed that the Institute had undertaken coronavirus experiments on bats captured more than 1,000 miles away in Yunnan, funded by a $3.7 million grant from the U.S. government. Really? The Obama administration gave the grant of $3.7 million. We will end that grant very quickly. The NIH gave $3.7 million to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Then they advertised that they needed coronavirus researchers and following that coronavirus erupts in Wuhan. It is rather revealing how little this has been reported in the media. The press, which has been very hesitant to say anything overly critical of the Chinese government, while blaming nearly every negative detail on Trump. Negative details involving President Barack Hussein fucking Obama and the Chinese government get ignored. Ain't that some shit. We gave money, Obama did, to a Chinese lab that then infects the world. And now I see why they're so defensive. He's the most scandal-free president ever. God damn you. Why would you hate him? As Paige in Oregon said, he is the greatest man ever. Then, not making the paper again, 32% of the population of Chelsea, a town in Massachusetts, had COVID. They didn't know they did. 
because those antibody testings are going through, and it's what we've been saying on the show, or I've been saying, and reading stories about. All of us probably got a fucking strain of this fucking shit in November and December. If you had a cough, and you felt like shit, you probably already had it. And once those numbers come in, the death toll will be, why the fuck did I walk around like Bubble Boy? Then I'll ask three things, and we'll close this pig out. 50 inmates out of 1,500 released in New York City already committed crime. One even did murder. Thank you, Bill de Blasio. Brian Seltzer, compiling a list for tonight's Reliable Sources newsletter. What are the best examples of creative creativity you've seen from the media and tech worlds this month? Creative solutions to virus-induced problems. I showed a picture of napalm blowing up from Apocalypse Now. It's got a bunch of retweets. It's pretty funny. Then, Praship J. Shakar. I guess quarantines are only for little people. George Snuffleupagus walking in the Hamptons after a COVID-19 diagnosis. The story didn't break in our media. It broke in the Daily Mail. George Snuffleupagus, neighbors slamming him for failing to properly social distance while his wife was sick with COVID-19. Sean Davis, the lockdowns must continue unless you're Bill Clinton's former press secretary who works at ABC News or you're a CNN anchor's brother of New York's Democratic mayor. That's different. All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others because now Cuomo infected his goddamn wife and he went out for Easter. And he has the virus. So take the little sound bite of them talking that first little open mic, you put it together with them, they're all full of fucking shit. Every one of them's full of shit. It's all politics. Nothing you get out of the media, you can even believe. I, I've said it before. If I was on fire and Chuck Todd told me it was on fire, I'd go find my wife because I don't trust Chuck Todd. <clears throat> More likely, if Chuck Todd knew me, he wouldn't tell me I was on fire because I'm a Christian gun-owning, should-have-fucking-restrictions-on-abortion-after-24-weeks kind of guy. And that makes me a useless fuck that the rest of the media says, I should just die. I hope they die. Maybe they'll die. These fucking people. So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. Send comments about the track by sending an email to foppodcast at gmail.com. Pop podcast gmail.com. You can get the show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out our Facebook page at Fop Podcast and our Twitter account, Fop Tony Reed. Our next podcast will be 26 April, Year of Our Lord, 2020. We'll do a Sunday podcast. Enjoy the time with your family. If you're in a state that's going to start doing rollout, be safe. Still wash your fucking hands. My state's going to start, but I'm going to tell you tomorrow when I go out, because I'll be going to the lake, I will still be masked up. I'll be going anywhere. I'll still be gloved up just like I did today. And next week, I probably won't mask, but I'll definitely glove. And I'll stay away from people just for a while. 
We have to be responsible with this so that they don't play fucking fascist with us. Luckily, I live in a red state, which is less fascist, but I don't want to see you people trapped in a blue state, especially all my great listeners in the Bay Area. Yeah, those motherfuckers will take away your goddamn fucking PlayStation if they can. Why did I say PlayStation? I'm trying to get my wife to let me buy one for my kids, my grandkids. But anyway, as always, my friends, thank you for listening. Tune in Sunday, and you take care. I meant that in like a metaphorical sense, not a literal sense, because if it came together, that would be the antithesis of what quarantine means. But good thing we have FaceTime because we can hang out and make dumb songs like this. And shout out to all the healthcare workers out there. And, and Tim, I really like that chorus. Let's hit that one more time. Quarantine, quarantine, drinking whiskey like vaccine, waving at the neighbors, social distancing. Quarantine, quarantine, wearing like.